podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. My name is Madeline Turner, and I am just grabbing a couple hundred dollar bills from the freezer, uh, catching a, a taxi in the middle of the road, and scrunching up a, a, a top of a wax candle. Uh, in order to adorn myself for the surprise party that I am late for, where I will encounter my co-host, Rebecca Botter, <laughs> in a bathroom where we'll yell at each other. Hi, Maddie. Um, How are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling just sort of like a New York lonely girl. Oh, I'm just sort of like I'm like in a penthouse with a pet pig and I'm ready to um, heal my inner child. Yeah, I think we both are. I think today is going to be an we're important actually, We're going to figure it out. We're oh, going to fix it. We're going to finally heal that inner child right here, right now. Absolutely. We were discussing the recording of this episode the day the day prior to today, yes. um, we had every intention to do it. And then I think we both knew we weren't actually going to yeah, record it. We just needed we, to like talk on the phone for, for like three two and a half. Yeah. Three hours. We just, yeah. and then she was like, oh, I've got to go watch Vanderpump Rules. I had to watch the Vanderpump Rules finale. Yeah. She had an obligation. Um, so we're doing it today, but we both were talking about it and we were like, I feel like this is going to be an episode kind of like the Ghibli episode where we like. Get we just really, really soft and quiet, quiet and we just like we get really serious and yes. we we talk about things that like mean something to us. Yeah. And I think um just like the movie, how it was marketed as like pink, glittery, dancey dancey, mm-hmm. you might have come to the uptown girls episode for Thinking. a a giggle. Well, you might have come for like a little giggle and a kiss, but yeah. you're actually probably gonna hear um, a lot about inner child work and, um, and parentification and grief and self-parenting. Um, yeah. And like kind of what a what a psychological masterpiece this, Uptown Girls is. It's terrifyingly good. OK, but before we get into obviously, Uptown Girls, um, obviously, Maddie, do you want to tell the girls what your lonely girl moment of the week was? Yeah. Here's my lonely girl moment. Let's do it. Here's my lonely girl moment. So I have been um, just really, really, really needing a change in like my appearance. It happens every so often. I think we go through this time and time again. Uh, And I think it's an important part of marking eras. And my hair especially has been 
uh, something that I have used to, to mark certain eras in my life and certain changes in time. And I've really, really wanted just um, a change in my hair. And so I've, I've put it out into the world that I w- want to bleach my hair, which I've done before and it looked really good. And I want to do it again because I just think it'll be fun. And when else am I going to like bleach my hair? Like, why not? Except for now. Except for literally right now here on the podcast. <laughs> but getting your hair done, bleached especially, and doing it right and going to a salon is very expensive. So I've been putting it off until I have a little bit more of a nest egg saved. But last night when I um, left Rebecca to go watch the Vanderpump Rules finale, in the middle of us watching it, one of the girls who was watching it with us, her name is Mary. She's not Hail Mary, but another Mary. Yeah. Uh, deserved of sainthood anyways. Very, very great Mary. Famously. Very great Mary, famously. And I say, oh, I've really been wanting to bleach my hair or maybe just like bleach my eyebrows. And she's like, oh, I literally just bleached my eyebrows the other day. She's like, I'll bleach them for you right now. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'll just Instacart some bleach and we can bleach your eyebrows. I need to like get some. I need to get some bleach for my eyebrows anyways. So we're like sitting there watching Vanderpump Rules. She Instacarts bleach to our friends, Becca and Alex's house. And as I'm watching like uh, Ariana scream at Sandoval and like Raquel like not show any emotion or show emotion or whatever – um, I'm I'm putting like burning bleach on my eyebrows, um, and and everyone is sort of like taking pictures of uh, of me and my and my silliness. But yeah, so I bleached my eyebrows last night, like kind of on a whim during the Vanderpump Rules finale or reu- final reunion special, mm-hmm. and. I really like it. I really like the brows. I feel like I look more like my mom than I ever have. And I feel like that's kind of mean because it's basically me saying like, oh, mom, you just have no eyebrows. My mom has no eyebrows. Yeah. And my mom famously does have no eyebrows. And I I think it's like, it's like, oh, whoa, I really do look like my mom or whoa, my mom really does have no eyebrows. (laughs) But it's fun, and I and I and I would highly recommend it. I would highly recommend bleaching your eyebrows on a whim. I think it's cool and fun. Just out of curiosity, how often are you going to have to bleach them mm. to keep them bleachy? It depends. Probably once every like couple weeks. Really, but it literally takes like ten minutes. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so it's so easy, and then I can always just dye them. Back to brown if I get sick of it. Yeah. And or, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I was about to be like, or use brow gel. And I was like, shut up, Rebecca. You don't know anything <laughs> about well, any of this. Like, I totally could. That's the thing. Like, if I really, like, was just being lazy and, like, didn't want to do it, I could absolutely just fill in my brows with, like, a pencil. You just go for it. I think you look more um, more like 70s-esque Ooh, now because yeah. I don't think they were obsessed with, like, just brow 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 yeah I do feel I was talking to a friend and she was like you're giving me very like Manson girl vibes this is before I bleached my brows and I was like oh yeah she's like I like obviously not like you know not in that way but I think aesthetically like you're really I think this is your Manson girl summer (laughs) I was actually kind of thinking about Manson girl pics when 
I just said that. Yeah, I I feel I feel like I'm headed into my Manson girl era. I love it. <laughs> but yes, uh, Rebecca, I would like to know what your lonely girl moment of the week was. Well, okay. Um, I think this is a story I've told quite a few times in the past few weeks. And um, so here we go. Little, this is like the story of a meet cute. This is a story of mm. girl meet girl. And seven-ish months ago, I went to my friend Haley's stand-up show. I have short arms. I could not zip up the back of the dress. I came in and a girl saw me crossing the room, saw I had my headphones on and assumed like this girl's about to be by herself, which I was. I'm very comfortable going to places alone. I kind of, I don't prefer it, but I kind of do. So I was marching to my seat and the girl saw me and she was like, hey, I have a better seat next to me. Do you want to sit with me? And I said, sure. I took off my jacket and I was like, can you zip up my dress? Because my dress was just flapping open. I was going to make some girl zip it up at some point. She said, sure. And she zipped me up and we had a lovely little chat and watched stand up together. And then I didn't see her for seven plus months-ish, I think. And then I ran into her at a friend's party two-ish weeks ago and I came up to her and I was like I don't think you remember our meet cute but we had the cutest little meet cute in the whole wide world and she was like no Rebecca I've like really wanted to be your friend ever since our little meet cute and so she was like can we be friends and I was like absolutely and I just immediately was like this is my friend now and then we hung out last week and I she texted me later she's like I am very excited about this friendship And I love it when people are very direct and very formal about it. Almost kind of like, and here's your NDA. (laughs) No, it's it's almost like, you know, the intentionality you have when you're like dating someone. Like, Mm -hmm. what are we? There is like a level of um, formality, but like also security and treating friendships in the same way. Maddie, that just reminded me. Do you remember... When we used to validate the end of our yes, phone calls. I know. Oh. That was really sweet. And that now was... we don't even have to do it because we know it intrinsically. Um, the reason we did that, y'all. And honestly, I encourage people to do it when they make a new friend. But one of us yeah. was like, yeah, because I think both of us do this. Like, I get really in my head after I meet someone because I'm like, was that stupid? Was that stupid? Yeah. And, and like, then, oh, we talked for a really long time. Was I like. Did I talk too long? Yeah, exactly. And now we just famously know Rebecca just won't get off the phone and Maddie has to just and it's okay tell her it's time to go no I know I just it's painful for me I can't I know I can't hang up but anyways but like then I both of us at the end of phone calls for the first few months I'd be like Maddie I just want to validate you that I did really enjoy this phone I enjoyed call. this phone call I enjoyed <laughs> talking to you I enjoyed um what you had to say it was valuable plus experience yeah exactly (laughs) and I think you know if you're someone who here's the thing if you're someone who does get in your own head about that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and that feels like it would be valuable to you the type of person that you're gonna want that that you're gonna see as like a valuable friend will be someone who's willing to also do that and appreciate that sort of exchange of validation yeah that exchange of affirmation yeah that was I haven't thought about that in like a year that we used to do that that's really sweet and so adorable now we make each other get on to have structured pre-planned conversations exactly yeah we Um, (laughs) where we both um force the other one to 
consume media that means something to them and uh, we appreciate it yeah I love it it's okay, always so, valuable yes so okay speaking of forcing people to watch things um and yes. have pre-planned <laughs> conversation let's have one <laughs> let's so, do it let's do it now okay so Maddie how about you begin with why you pitched Uptown Girls so Uptown Girls for me was a film that I watched when I was quite young and I didn't like it. I I think I was expecting something and I remember it being like very like tonally, like a very tonally different than what I assumed it was going to be and it made me uncomfortable and I wanted it to be like funnier and sillier. I didn't want it to be as sad and then uh, didn't sort of encounter it at all but always really really loved the character that Dakota Fanning played she's one of my favorite brats in in cinema and then re-watching it as an adult was really struck by what a good film it is what like a a textured nuance kind of like really it, it explored a, a type of womanhood that really resonated with me, which is probably why it made me really uncomfortable as a kid. Mm. And then this YouTube video, there's this video essay by Final Girl Studios. We'll share it on um, social media sites. Absolutely. That sort of broke down Uptown Girls and really looked at it through the lens of abandonment, grief, parentification, and healing your inner child. And I sent it to Rebecca immediately. And I was like, this video essay is so good. And it was kind of like, it was, I don't know. It was just kind of understood that like we had to talk about it on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, watching the video essay, I think, because like inner child work, um, well, actually, I think inner child is going to come up a lot, Maddie. Do you have like a little, like a little summary of what like inner child is I can uh, one thing as she's looking that up I'm gonna say um most of the times in therapy which famously um we've been to is often a lot of (laughs) which often the pain that you're experiencing in your day-to-day that might make you really upset it's often not obviously about that moment but you might be reacting to the pain that you experienced as a young child that was very formative in your personality and how you react to the world and that is called your inner inner child child. so often in therapy you're not just trying to heal your day-to-day but it's actually trying to heal those wounds that happened even 20 plus years ago you know yeah okay. and Did you even find like def- re- yeah so the definition is a person's supposed original or true self mm. especially when regarded as damaged or concealed by negative childhood experiences and I think there are some people who they can like even regarding that inner child as like an actual physical being like mm-hmm. really there's like looking at pictures of yourself as a child and really trying to see that person as uh, almost separate from you in a way mm-hmm. and giving them the kind of love that you need in these moments and the parenting and the maybe even like 
the difficult conversations that you needed when you were a child and being able to like reparent yourself yeah. in sort of having it be this this physical person. Uh, a lot of times they talk about how when you experience kind of a very traumatic situation at a specific age, there's a part of you that's just locked in mm-hmm. that age forever. And I think with Uptown Girls, it's 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 so on the nose. Do we want to give a little like explanation or a little sort of bio of of the film? Of the film, and then yeah. we can get into it. Yes, I love it. I'm glad we defined inner child because we were going to say it a lot. It's okay, come up. A I'm lot. just going to read the little Google summary. Do it. Okay, so um, Molly Gunn played by Brittany Murphy, has never worked a day in her life and has lived like a queen um, since her father, a famous rock and roll star, died and left her his fortune. And her mother also died. Uh, But everything changes when Molly realizes that her manager has stolen her money. His name is Bill, and he paid the bills. Uh, She lands a job as a nanny for Ray, a.k.a. The lovely Dakota Fanning, a young girl whose serious attitude is the opposite of Molly's carefree one. With help from her boyfriend, I don't agree exactly with this bio. It's not, I don't think he really helps that much. No. Um, But there, and she's not even the boyfriend. And he's not a boyfriend. Google, um, I have a bone to pick. Um, Google. So (laughs) let's just say there is a, there is a boy that's it. That Molly, um, Molly is uh, fixated on, with. is obsessed with in an I unhealthy would, capacity. It's definitely obsession vibes. Um, Molly tries to bond with Ray and in doing so, learns to be an adult. So that was like, I would say if I was to grade that summary, I would give it like a I would give it 75. Like, I would give it like a 40. Oh. Okay. So I think that's, it... So, because it is, you know, it does center on the man. And I think that's one of the interesting parts about this movie is that there's really no, like, direct romantic story. There is romance involved, but it is more a love story between Brittany Murphy and Dakota Fanning. It's like Molly Mamma Mia. It's, it's how in Mamma Mia it is the love story of female friendship and a love story between a mother and a daughter. Yes. And I feel like... That's so interesting because I wouldn't even really say there's exactly a love story in this. There's like a sweet gesture at the end. Oh, by the way, guys, spoilers, I guess. But I I, I find it more of like an ailment. And I feel like if this yeah. I feel like if this movie was made today, I don't think Molly and Neil would have that perfect little bow tied think, up ending yeah, no, i'm I not think, mad about it but no, um, and i think it's really sweet and i i imagine that there was probably like a commercial element where it's like the guy's got to get the girl okay he's got to make a grand they gesture can, they can go to coney island they can they can have, have a their, panic attack they can have their panic attacks at coney island but she's got to she's got to get with the guy i'm sorry he's he's got to women gotta, can't be happy unless there's a man involved yeah um, um okay so, so funny. do you want to run do, do we want to run through the through the plot, the plot a little bit and kind yeah. of the yeah so we start off and Brittany murphy 
is asleep. It's probably <laughs> like 10 o'clock at night. Uh-huh. She's still asleep. She gets woken up by her pet pig. And there Which are... I also want to say is very early aughts where you have a silly animal. Just like uh, along came Polly. I think there was also a pet pig. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Molly is listening to – or Molly is woken up by voicemails that are coming in through her machine. She's uh, receiving messages from her friends, uh, Ingrid and Huey, who are waiting at a restaurant to celebrate her birthday. It's her 22nd birthday, which is wild because when I – even watching it now, I'm like, there's no way this girl's 22. That Mm-mm. There's no way. So she doesn't seem to mind that much that she's incredibly late for a birthday dinner with her friend. She uh, is wearing she, the most beautiful dress. Oh in my the gosh, whole the most world. beautiful dress in the whole world. She's she's dancing around her apartment. She's <sighs> like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be late. She goes out into the hallway. There's just like piles of flowers. Clearly, she's someone who is adored. Adored. People love Molly Gunn. Um, she runs outside. She runs. She gets to the restaurant, and it turns out that Ingrid and Huey had planned a surprise party for her. Yes, and I want to say, like these two friendships, it's never explained how they're friends. One thing is Huey seems to be a straight male friend of Molly's, mm. which is very yes. like uh, with yeah. no romance, and I really liked that. Um, and then Ingrid and all of them. Huey's in the music industry. Ingrid, I'm not sure what exactly she does, but she, I very I feel much, like she does like PR. PR in fashion, like Condé yeah. Nast vibes. But I feel like all three of them, I just know in my soul, all went to like rich kid private school in New York 100%. and like are high school friends because they really shouldn't be friends. How do they know each other? But there's this Why love do they, for each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much people are like, why do you put up with Molly? And Ing's like, you don't get it. You haven't known her for as long as I have. Yeah, like they're high school, middle school friends. You know. Yeah, I I agree. And they have that sort of that that sort that of energy, elite, like that elite like New York City kid bond. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we get a bit a taste of who Molly is. And what I one of the things I really love about this movie is they do a lot of showing, not telling which I I appreciate a lot. They let mm-hmm. us, like, get to make our own judgments on Molly based on how she interacts with other people, how they interact with her. There's this sort of, like, oh, it's her 22nd birthday. She's immediately, like, thrown into a conversation about, like, getting older and all these women saying, like, oh, you like, I do Botox all the time and just one injection would get rid of that frown line. Mm-hmm. And so she, like, run, runs to the bathroom and she's, like, staring at herself in the mirror. Brittany Murphy is just so unbelievably charming. She she is, y'all, so good in this movie. Like, she really is. I think I, I think it might be, like, to me, it is her most quintessential Brittany Murphy role. And mm-hmm. it is Dakota Fanning's most quintessential Dakota Fanning role. Mm-hmm. But... Speaking of, she's in the bathroom and all of a sudden a, an eight-year-old girl or a seven-year... Eight, I think. Yeah, an eight-year-old girl walks out of the stall in this nightclub at like arguably probably 11, mm-hmm. 11.30 at night. Dressed like a very rich grandmother as she will be dressed for the rest of the film. For the rest of the film. And 
immediately just has like the biggest attitude, just a big old problem with Molly or Brittany Murphy's character. She's a spitfire. And Brittany Murphy, I think what you get about Molly's, the beauty of Molly is that she doesn't actually treat Ray, that's the name of Dakota Fanning's mm-hmm. character, like a child in that moment. She's like, she's like arguing with her as if she's like a peer. Mm-hmm. She's like really mad that like this kid dissed her shoes and like the little lampshade thing she scrunched into her hair. Um, and we find out that Ray, the little girl, is the daughter of Huey's boss. So I think it's time to talk about now maybe Neil. I was about to say. Y'all, so then we're going to talk the- about <laughs> Neil. We're going to talk. And then we are introduced to the most basic looking man, the most nothing boring man that but has also ever pretty. existed. He's still pretty. Beautiful. It's not that he is like, he is if like a Roman statue or maker was like a bring me a beautiful boy this this young strapping 20 something year old but i want brought I forward want, i want almost i want a black He's... hole happening <laughs> instead of a brain like i want nothing behind the eyes i want beauty and nothing else and i think this actually like aids so much in the character of Neil. I don't know mm-hmm. if they did it on purpose. I don't know if they cast him to be like at the time this actor was like, oh my God, we're going to cast the hottest dude. He's yeah. going to be like, of course, Molly's obsessed with him because he's so hot. I think it's like if he either it was intentional or it was just perfect that he was yeah. perfectly forgettable. And mm. and I was saying if she if they would have cast like an Ashton Kutcher in this kind who of had role. a little bit of like charm well, it wouldn't in, have the ashton kutcher naturally uh like he's always i i'm always surprised at how likable and charismatic he is yeah he, it's all in like his physicality and stuff yeah and if they, if they had cast someone who was a little bit more like dynamic exactly i don't know if it would have i don't know i i actually don't know if i would have liked it as much but no I'll, it was Perfect. Perfect. So perfectly cast Neil is a an up-and-coming rock star who Huey has just signed. And he gets on stage. Brittany Murphy sees him for the first time. He's on stage at the nightclub, and he sings a song for her. And she, Brittany Murphy, is so fucking funny. Her, just the, like, the look you realize that Molly, the character of Molly, has never been denied anything that she's wanted in the moment. Yes. Because she looks at him and she goes, I want him. I want him. As my and birthday present or something? I want him as it's my birthday so present. And her her friend, Ingrid, goes, oh my gosh, Molly, like, don't even do it. Like, you're just going to forget about him in a week like you do with all the other guys. So you get She's another sort boy. of- boy. She is. You get another shade of Molly Gunn in that she loses interest in guys at the drop of a hat. Yes. So (laughs) we move on from that. And essentially, Molly is 
even though this guy is like, he's like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm abstaining from drugs, alcohol, sex, romance, everything. Like, I can't do any of it. Like, I'm focusing on my music. This is the most important thing to me. And she's like, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. Totally. Totally. And she gets him to her apartment. She absolutely seduces him. And we cut to, I don't know if it's been one day. I don't know if it's been a few days. We don't know. That actually would make a lot of sense if it was more than one day. Because he's kind of saying, like, I need to escape this lotus land, this black hole. Yeah, And I was kind of like, I mean, it is messy, dude. But, like, you can be a little bit more polite. But, yeah, it's been, like, maybe it's been, like, a day. Like, maybe they spent, like, the day together and then. Just, like, ordering takeout. Yeah. Having some fun, falling asleep, like just the cycle. But what I love is immediately we cut – the next scene is Molly calling Ingrid and being like, Ingrid, I'm suffocating. Like I need him to go. I need him to get out of here. He's he's obsessed with me. He's clingy. And if I tell him to go, I'm like, I'm going to break his heart. And then cut to him coming in and being like, Molly, I have to go. Molly, like, I got to get out of here. I'm sorry. I can't do this. And she is immediately like, what? Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. And I, as someone with a deeply anxious avoidant attachment style, I very much resonated with that. Very, very, very much. Uh, The second anyone shows interest, I'm like, ew, bye. But then they're like, I have to go. And I'm like, no. I'll be everything you need. I promise. Exactly. I promise. I promise. And not to be like drawing some obvious parallels and I'll we'll keep um drawing these as it goes, but like this poor girl as we'll find out in more details, but her parents died when she was her, really young. Yeah. So of and course anyone leaving is going super to super triggering. Freak Yeah, exactly. And she's like I'll be anything you want, just don't leave. Just don't leave. Mm-hmm. But if you don't leave, I'll hate you and I'll be suffocated by you. Um it's so relatable. It's 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 insane. So he leaves, she's thrown into the depths of despair. She like her electricity is out for some reason. There's, it's just like an absolute hovel of depression. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's a siren going off. And Ingrid, her friend, comes over to check on her because her phone line's been disconnected. No one can get a hold of her. Molly Gunn is so in the depths of despair with Neil breaking her heart, who, she, who she's in love with now because he's unavailable. That she doesn't even she doesn't even realize it and she doesn't even care. Ingrid comes in and she kind of puts the pieces together like a big old big sister boss lady. And she's like, Molly, you have all of these overdue bills in your mail. Like who handles who handles all your money? Because that's another thing we learned about Molly is when her parents died, they gave her basically she was set up with enough money to be able to never have to work. Mm-hmm. Ever. Who, what rock star would you, like, equivalent her dad to? Like a Bon Jovi? I was thinking more like a, like like, a Mick Jagger. Okay. Okay. Like rock and roll. Not like a Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. 
Okay. No, I think cool. like a rock and roll guy. And and one thing I want to bring up now because this is when – so my friend Very Smart Kate was with me when I was watching it. And immediately Very Smart Kate was being very smart and disagreed with me. But I was <laughs> like, wow, Ingrid – I think I was just trying to say something clever, but I was yes. like, oh, what's the point of Ingrid? Because she's so similar. She, she, the actress looks so similar to Ray. I wasn't Dakota even like Fanning's oh, character. Yes, exactly. Because like they both have like kind of like those big childlike doll eyes. And the same haircut. Same haircut. Same like. They dress preppy. really similarly. Yes. Yeah. And then Kate was like, Rebecca, that's the point and then as the scene went on i was like yeah yeah i i i know i was i i I know that i was seeing if you know (laughs) um but Hmm. and so i do think like as we are always kind of searching for an empty hole that's missing in our life as molly i think is constantly searching and rejecting structure it makes sense that ingrid is one of her closest friends and then also that when she meets almost the child version of Ingrid, she immediately just feels knows how like, to interact with it. Yeah, you know? it's like, oh, she's just like, an, uh, she. this is just like my friend. Yeah. I I thought that was really smart. I hadn't made that connection until we were watching it and you mm-hmm. pointed that out. And I was like, oh, whoa, yeah, that's, that's crazy. And Ray and Ingrid never speak to one another, which I think mm-hmm. is super duper interesting. Yeah. I... I they might both – I don't think they're even both at the ballet recital. I don't no, think they they're ever both overlap. At, but no, they do because they're both at the garage sale. The party. In the party. Yeah. So we move uh, into sort of the inciting incident of the film, which is Molly learns that because of her horrible business manager, her who's like a con man or a fraud, he's stolen all of her money and she – the lifestyle that she has lived as she knows it is no longer possible. Mm -hmm. Like she, she, she owes so much money due to the sort of her, her accountant's business practices that she's going to have to sell the apartment. She's going to have to sell everything she owns. The only thing that she really, really cannot sell that she's like, no, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to keep this is her dad's sort of collection of guitars mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, awards and memorabilia because it's all she has with him. So now she has to get a job. This, this woman child who's never worked a day in her life has to get a job. Oh, hi, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Rosie's Aww. like, I also have never worked a day in my life. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty great. I yeah, I think I'm – and I'd like to continue that. I think I think if, if you ever possible. die in a car crash, I don't think I would like to get a job, please. I don't think – I think I'm going to figure it out some other way. Um, okay, so she has to get a job. And thus begins the, – the one I remember is like – she gets a job at a department store, which felt kind of random. Well, Ingrid got her the job. Yes. Because Ingrid's connections. Ingrid got her the job uh, selling 
like bed sheets. She like worked at like a Macy's or something, and she worked in like the you know which, the home which decor kind apartment. Of felt weird that in no offense couldn't set her up with something a little nicer than a department store. Well, I guess it was sort of like she knew how incompetent her friend was, yeah. and she's like, I don't want to put my. Mm. I don't want to put myself on the line mm-hmm. in that way. Like, I'm going to give you the one job that you can't possibly mess up. And she does anyways. She is feeling empty and feeling the void, and she has to go. She decides to go see Neil. She decides mm-hmm. to spend, I think, like $1,300 on a set of uh, Egyptian cotton sheets for him. She bombards him at his house seduces him again he tells her he's like i can't do this you've got to go and she stays up all night and ends up sleeping through her next shift so she loses mm-hmm. the job kismet uh, mm-hmm. intervenes and luckily huey is able to set her up with a job mm-hmm. which is becoming the nanny for the uh, the little tyrant that she met in the bathroom at at her birthday dinner mm-hmm and it's uh it's a real meet cute they immediately butt heads they are quite possibly on opposite spectrums of in terms of outward and possibly inward maturity Mm -hmm. but there i think there is something about molly that is different from any of the other nannies that ray's ever had and it is something that i think is intriguing to her Mm -hmm. and Ray is a complete, like, an incredibly disciplined, like, neurotic hypochondriac who definitely has, has to control OCD. Absolutely. And has to control every single aspect of her life or else she completely freaks out. Mm-hmm. We learn later that Ray's dad lives at the home. Um, but is in a coma and has been in a coma for an indeterminate amount of time. We don't ever know that, but we can we can guess that it's it's been quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And the illness that he uh, his sort of like sickness has attributed to Ray's hypochondria. Yeah, they you know they they clash, they butt heads at the beginning uh, or at the end of the very first day that they spend together molly quits ray is like fine <laughs> and there's this really excellent moment where she's like news flash mm-hmm. you work for me and molly's like no i don't i work for your mother and ray goes oh yeah where is she mm-hmm if if you want to see my mom, you can make an appointment with her assistant or wait around her bedroom at 3 a.m. And she's not here. I think and she won't be. And I think that is a great line to explain the relationship. But also it's such a great line to show how Ray is so aware of her situation. She's so aware. She is completely aware of how emotionally unavailable her mom is mm-hmm. and how physically unavailable how truly unavailable her dad is Mm -hmm. so it almost is like her parents are dead yeah in the same way that molly's parents are dead Mm -hmm. molly realizes she really does need money Mm -hmm. 
And so she, uh, she, she sucks it up and she apologizes to Ray and they try to, you know, make things work with one another. And so for the bulk of the film afterwards, she, it, it's them sort of getting to know one another and getting to learn from one another. There's a really beautiful moment where they take the train to Coney Island and Molly shares with Ray that when her parents passed away, she was woken up by a nanny to, to tell her that their plane had crashed. And she ran away because she couldn't, she couldn't be around all the adults anymore. She got on the train and she looked up at the, at the map and decided that she wanted to live in Coney Island, mm. which was really beautiful. And one of the things I really love about that moment is like Ray is so um, Ray is so typically very like fearful of anything that she's unfamiliar with, of anything she can't control. She rejects all all influences that don't uh, aren't directly attributed to her decision, the decision that she's made. Mm-hmm. And when Molly decides to take her to Coney Island, she's like oh my gosh, wait, you've never been to Disneyland? Have you ever even been to like an amusement park before? Oh my gosh, Ray, you're so stoked. Like you are so excited to go here. Um, And Ray's like, shut up. (laughs) And unfortunately, come to find out that Coney Island isn't open for another like month or so. Mm -hmm. Then so neither one of them can ride the rides. Mm -hmm. And Molly disappoints Ray. In a way that I think is really, yeah, it's really um, real, I think. I think this is maybe a good time to talk about because this is a time of an adult letting down Ray and showing that like a, a almost and in a way I probably, I think I would like to think with Google I would have looked up to see if Coney Island was closed. But um, this is a moment. Well, they didn't have phones back I know, then. They didn't. But, okay, so here's the thing about Molly is if you're kind of thinking of, like, a spoiled, like, diva mean brat with Molly, she's not. It's almost like you can't get mad at her, almost, because her heart is so big and it is so effervescent. She is not, like, the mean, rich girl that needs to be taught how to, like, help people like she naturally no, I is imagine so that she is I think I she's probably so generous it, I think knows really knows how to charm people in that way that comes from an innate like just inner inner warmth and joy it has nothing to do with like manipulating people consciously it's probably like an unconscious in the way that like a child does and i mean like literally one of the first moments we see of her in the film her first interaction with someone is she's passing all the flowers that have been given to her for her birthday and then is just like neighbor opens the door what's going on in the hallway so many flowers yeah she just picks up a bouquet of flowers and is like here neighbor yeah and she's like oh you can donate all of these gifts to charity she's she's like like, i don't really float away any of this exactly and i think ray like it isn't just like a mean kid. I think like the structure she's built into her life is honestly 
very impressive and the discipline she has incredibly incredibly impressive so it's not even like these two people are bad people and now they need to learn how to be good it's more like hey there's a character flaw where it's kind of like hey molly you have ignored parts of your life and now there are consequences so you need to deal with this side of you and then ray bless her heart just Ugh, hasn't she has not been given she's not been shown the love and tender care mm-hmm. that every child deserves and she's coping with it in the best way possible she, she was just never given i think it's also just that that like yes and and that she was never given space to be a child and molly mm. just is the person not just because she is so childlike, honestly. I think it's just like Molly is paying so much attention to her and kind of like, yeah. hey, if you fall and look stupid, I've got you. And so yeah. Molly is the first person she's ever been able to lose it with. Just be, yeah, just be, yeah, be a kid with. Yeah. Because there is that true childishness within Molly that I think – never really goes away in the film, which is beautiful. It just sort of evolves into a much more healed and matured version of that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to skip ahead a little bit, the mom at one point um, like truly shows how little she understands about her daughter and um, says at one point like, oh, Ray is taking this very well. She like didn't even cry. And Molly's like, no, don't you – you think that's a good thing? Yeah. Like, that is just showing you she's not handling it well. Yeah, um, and she, she's not and, – and she has a mother who is not tapped into, like, her emotions and, at all. And isn't able – it's like saying, like, hey, the mom is not able to be a safe space for her daughter to we, – we were talking about this the other day, is that, like, children need superheroes – You know, and um, the mom is just, it's like the mom is depending on her daughter, her eight-year-old daughter. To keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I I need this from you because my life is so busy. mm -hmm. My job is so important. I need you to, I need you to be your own parent, please. So what are some ways, and also one thing we've said as big sisters is like, when you began to help raise your siblings, we were affirmed for it. We were congratulated. We were thanked. Yes. And we were yeah. encouraged to do it, And um, which makes a lot of sense. Okay, so what are some of the moments that you start seeing a change in I Molly feel, and in Ray? I think for Molly, there, I, there's a moment where you see her really start to care about Ray in a way where she's putting someone besides herself first. Mm -hmm. I think that is the thing with Molly is she is warm and loving, but she is very selfish. Mm -hmm. She's incredibly selfish. And in learning to love Ray and learning to be an authority figure for her, a secondary sort of, yeah, a secondary authority figure in her life she feels a sense of responsibility and I think a sense of like power that Mm -hmm. she's never felt before I remember when Ray's mom missed her ballet recital Mm -hmm. Molly was so upset by that she was like are you kidding me like I can't wait why are you here like 
I thought Ray had a ballet recital tonight. And her mom's like, oh, you know, she told me she didn't want me there. Mm. It's fine. And Molly is so understanding and so upset that Ray's mom didn't show up for the ballet recital. Mm -hmm. I also think her relationship with Neil, like you see as she finds more purpose in her life besides immediate like gratification and immediate validation, she's able to tell Neil to F off and tell him that she doesn't, you know, need him, need him in her life anymore. And that's, it's, it's very cool to see. I think we need to talk about the jacket, the lucky jacket. And also the hit song. Oh, God. Okay, so I this is this was part of like Molly's journey. As, this is part of her character arc. And I, this is, I, it's a great film. They give you these little tiny, teeny hints very, very briefly that sort of show Molly's like um, f- fashion prowess, but in kind of like a really creative way. Mm-hmm. Like one of the first things you see is her like grab like a candle lampshade and squish it up and like, put it on her head as like this sort of like flower yeah. hair accessory and, and it looks chic. really cute yeah yeah it looks really cute so neil when he first you know came over molly's apartment one thing he left was his jacket his lucky jacket lucky. and she would wear it all the time and da, da, da. And for a brief stint she lives with ingrid and there was a, a rogue baking accident where in very typical sort of aughts comedy mm-hmm. hijinks she tries to put out the fire with neil's jacket oh, no. and so the jacket gets ruined yeah. but molly then goes like well like i'll make it better and so she turns it into this like <laughs> honestly i can't decide i feel like in like two or three years when we've like moved from early y2k mm-hmm. into like mid y2k 2010s aesthetic oh. i'll look at it and I'll be like, wow, that's chic as hell. But I still I'm I'm still kind of in the camp of like, I don't know, that's kind of an ugly jacket. That's, I don't but see that's the thing is it's just I think just like Neil is like kind of boring. I also so think boring. his jacket is kind of ugly. And I also think because if you think about how beautifully this movie is costumed and how well mm. it holds up fashion wise. That, oh my like, gosh! It it oh, oh it's stunning. Um, it's so stunning. It, it it is so well done. I think she knew that that jacket was ugly. I think it yeah. was meant to be ugly, and I think, yeah. And and you know what? Good for her. So let's jump to the music video. Yeah. Okay. So we mentioned this briefly, but um, <laughs> Neil is trying to write a hit song. He's a musician. He plays her this song. And it's this sort of like moody, like, and she's like, okay, yeah. But like, does it have a hook? Does it have like, kind of like a catchy little thing? And he's like, I don't do hooks. I'm a real musician. Um, And she's like, okay, um, give me a kiss. Uh, I don't care. And she buys him these Egyptian cotton sheets. Fast forward, she's been raised nanny for like however many months. They've, you know, they've learned to love one another. She hasn't seen Neil in forever. She gives him the jacket and he hates it. He's like, he, he's like, how, how could you destroy my lucky jacket? This isn't me. This isn't it. This isn't anything. And she's like, oh, whatever. You suck. It's like, like lined in like 
like a like leopard print from it's like a studded. stuffed animal. Like, yeah. No, she really got crafty with it. So it she went to town with a bedazzler. It's DIY as yeah, hell. for sure. And so then, fast forward more in time, and Huey, who is the manager of Neil. Mm-hmm. Her friend goes, oh, his his music video just came out. <laughs> like, oh, watch, watch his music video. And in that, he's wearing the jacket that she gave him. Mm-hmm. And the hook on the song is, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, sheets of Egyptian cotton, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. It's honestly such a bop. Like, I literally, like... I, I I don't care. I know you hate it, but like I love it. I think it's such a fun I think shitty little bop. I think the no no no, I don't hate it. Like I think it's like deliciously bad. Like yeah, totally. Just, yeah. It's deliciously bad. Just kind of like um have you ever heard Ashley Tisdale's Kiss the Girl? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of yeah. like oh, Sha-na-na-na-na-na. why oh why? Have you ever heard that like that Christian song where it's like waves of mercy, waves of grace, everywhere I look. I we have a delay right now, so we're like. <laughs> And then, oh my God, how can it be? That's what it always made me think of. Oh, you're so right. Honestly, out of all the songs that I sang as a child and and as an adult when I taught Sunday school, that one was always a hit. Yeah, it stayed. As it should be. Kids are still singing that song because it's such a bop. And you know what? The choreography, it, it makes a lot of sense. And we were doing the same ones. <laughs> and we and we grew up on completely different sides, sides of, of the America. country. Yeah. Yeah. It's very intuitive. Um, it, it is. That, yeah. There isn't... Um, <laughs> there isn't a whole lot of, uh, of, of nuance there. No. All that to say... We move on to kind of like our sort of emotional crux of the film. Mm-hmm. We get, I wouldn't say it's like a major tonal shift, but it is like a pretty sincere like tonal shift. Ray has been very like, very blase about the condition that her father is in. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's a vegetable. He's nothing. Like He's it, already, it, it, might as well he's be dead. Ar- he might as well be dead. And Brittany Murphy says, that's harsh, Ray. And Ray flips her sunglasses down and she goes, it's a harsh world. It's one of my favorite fucking lines. It's so good. But Ray, in allowing her inner child, her actual child, to exist with the comfort and safety of Brittany Murphy's character, she shares with molly that sometimes she goes into the room that her dad is staying in in his coma and she'll just sit with him and like maybe read a book and molly says to her you know you could talk to him and ray's like that won't do any good like this is this is the the part of the movie that i sent you that picture of me like sobbing this is like this part for the for the listeners at home i sobbed a total of three times 
separately mm-hmm. throughout this whole film i was so it was it, good cries mm-hmm. good cries but i was not prepared for like how much I, it would emotionally affect it's me it's gonna get to you it really i mean it's a it's a very good film but molly tells ray that you know i was watching this thing on tv and and these really sick people the ones whose family members talked to them like they held on just as much longer and you see this real vulnerability in Ray where she has this kind of like this hope where she she so badly doesn't want to care about mm-hmm. her dad being gone, basically, her dad being dead, whether or not he's in a coma. And even the hope that like, oh, maybe he could come out of this mm-hmm. coma, that childlike hope that she's like so denied herself, Molly really kind of like encourages that open heartedness and encourages Ray to just sit and like talk with her dad mm-hmm. while he's in a coma. And it's so devastating. Did you know that this was going to happen? I don't because uh-uh. this was the first time you'd first watched time. The, the movie. Yeah, this is the first time you'd watched the movie. So you were reacting mm-hmm. to everything like in real time. The next day, the next evening, it's so unfortunate. But like that very next day, Ray's dad passes mm-hmm. away. And so obviously, again, Ray is so let down by an adult in her life. And it, I, it's one of those things where it wasn't like Molly's fault well, at all. Also, so when my grandmother was in hospice, the hospice nurse told my family it is so common that people like my grandmother, who is like very much in the last few days or weeks, often she said when people are in this condition are waiting to hear from someone they oh, are so he I, was waiting for ray i i would think i i absolutely think i my when my grandma passed away it was a similar situation where she was completely you know she was completely like comatose mm-hmm. she was going to pass any second and i was avoiding i was like i went into the other room i like wouldn't mm-hmm. go in that room i didn't want to see her i didn't want to talk to her and Everyone had said their goodbyes, and my mom was like, you have to go in there, and you have to tell her it's okay. She can go. Like, I – she needs it. And I went, and I said goodbye, and within, like, 10 minutes, she was gone. It was one of the craziest things ever, but I think it's Mm -hmm. so true. And that's what I've always read on that situation. But if you're an eight-year-old exactly. child. You're like, I killed him. I-, I killed him and it's all your fault because you told me and you lied yeah. to me. You lied to me. You told me he it would make him hang on. And no one is there to emotionally support me. So Ray fires Molly. Ray tells her mother, I don't want to see my nanny anymore. So Molly is let go in the position of a nanny. And she's devastated, obviously. That's, like, so heartbreaking. But then a couple days later, maybe the next day, she gets a call from Ray's mom wondering if she knows where Ray is Mm because Ray has run away. And no one can find her. No one knows where she is. And I think it's a real, you know, come-to-Jesus moment for her mom because she realizes she knows nothing about her Mm -hmm. daughter. Like, she has no idea where she'd be. She has no idea, like who her friends are, where she could possibly be besides where she's at all mm. the time. She has to call the fired nanny. 
She has to call the fired yeah. nanny to be like, have you seen my child? And Molly thinks about it for a second and then immediately knows. Mm-hmm. And so she runs. She she books it to Coney Island. And there she finds Ray sitting on the spinning teacups mm-hmm. and the ride that she promised she would take Ray on. They would spin and spin and spin and ride it as many times as they as they could until they threw up. That was her promise. And so Ray's sitting there and Molly this is like such a beautiful scene. This I, is the, the other part the, that the I started spinning crying. Spinning on the teacups, not in a like it this scene is too good for this movie because this movie is excellent, but it's one of these scenes where on the teacups, I've never been on a ride like this, but it seems to me mm. that there is this wheel in the center of the teacup. And yeah. so the two of yeah. them and you s- the more you turn the circle in the middle between the faster the, the it faster, spins. And all of a sudden, like I think probably Brittany Murphy begins to turn it and then um, Dakota mm-hmm. Fanning. And I think it's just like, I don't know. I think like it's, if to me, it's Brittany saying like, this hurts so much. And this is Dakota like, saying, I'm, I am in like, this hurts so much. I'm in so much pain. Well, and because Brittany had shared with her about, how she felt when her parents Mm -hmm. died and initially ray was like well you're lucky she's like Mm -hmm. what she's like because you were mad when they left and if you're mad at people then you don't have to miss them and i that was like my inner Mm -hmm. child for a really long time Mm -hmm. and that really and so that moment where they're spinning they're like in like a sort of metaphorical way it could truly be like that separate inner child of yours Mm -hmm. like really like that that separate piece that you in therapy when you do the work and you're able to look at your inner child as its own person and its own human being and you both are on this spinning teacup Mm -hmm. together that is life I think it's just like it's such a beautiful metaphor and then and then the next part that made me cry was we cut to Ray throwing mm-hmm. up because they spun around so fast that um, until they threw up. And they, neither one of them say a word. Mm-hmm. Ray just turns around and she slaps Brittany Murphy in the face. And then she does it again. And then Brittany Murphy slaps her in the face. And then she just starts, uh, Ray just starts punching punching molly's Mm -hmm. stomach punching 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 that's this like outburst of like rage and grief Mm. and then she stops and then just falls into molly and molly like embraces Mm. her and it's so beautiful it's such a well-written child and i think that i know not to be like I, I, cause who knows? Like, let's call Dakota Fanning right now and she could be like, you fool. But, um, I <laughs> feel like that is also a scene that was probably shot towards the end of the shoot because there is so much trust and tenderness. I was watching interviews, um, in preparation for this episode. Mm-hmm. I was watching interviews of Dakota Fanning mm-hmm. and Brittany Murphy during the press oh. tour. And then also an interview that Dakota did 
like kind of overarching overarching career I where she talked one. about uptown yeah. girls and it seems like they really like Brittany Murphy really loved Dakota Fanning mm-hmm. and wanted to do everything she possibly could to make this like a safe fun special environment mm-hmm. for her her little co-star and it seems like they had a really really special mm-hmm. bond that is so I, I don't think you could make the movie unless that was there mm-hmm. I think that's like Brittany Murphy is like such a fantastic actor because she understands that like especially with working with a child actor cultivating that relationship mm-hmm. and that true genuine like friendship and and love is going to translate onto yeah. the screen. Yeah, I've heard that from like multiple actors. Like Margaret Qualley did a TV show called Made and she apparently on the weekends like hung out with the family the whole time to like cultivate yeah. that. And then Amanda Seyfried in Mamma Mia, she said like I'm actually not sure if like I'm a good actor or not because Meryl just made me think I was her daughter. <laughs> so yeah. it's like oh my yeah. gosh. Um but I just think it, what is so sad and I mean, I don't know. Is that towards the end of the movie? Because I kind of want to transition into Brittany now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic, I mean, that really, to me, to that me, is like the to true me, that's end, of the the end of the film. Of the movie. We do get like a nice, really sweet kind of like wrapping up moment mm-hmm. where um, you see Molly apply to go to fashion school and then Ray has a dance recital where a theme in the film before is like Ray is incredibly disciplined and whenever they have free dance at her ballet class she just leaves um and she's like it's stupid I like why why would I free dance why would I do it you know I'll look silly and so at the end of this dance recital yeah like Neil's there and he does like a romantic gesture whatever like I literally don't even care about that Dakota does this like adorable little dance that is like so like interpretive and like beautiful and and she just has you know it it really shows like you know Ray as the hope that Ray will be able to yeah. be more and and also like her mom is like there her mom mm-hmm. is like backstage helping her like with her costume so you see like oh the mom kind of had a moment where she realized she needed to step her game up as a parent and Ray has blossomed into the person she'll hopefully oh, become. There is a really good moment um, where we do find out that earlier in the film that Neil <gasps> sleeps with oh Ray's my God. mom. And it is... Because Ray's mom is like a big-ass music yeah. producer and so he like slept his to way into like getting her... That is a real... That was a moment that I always forget uh-huh. about and having you be like, no! No! <laughs> Because you don't know that like it's like this trippy twist, but it's like it's such a good moment because it's also it is. I uh, honestly wish they would have foreshadowed it just a little mm-hmm. bit more, just like a teeny well, tiny bit more. Maybe even had like one moment at the beginning of the movie at the mm-hmm. party where they both are like Neil and Roma. Mm-hmm. Like if they had had one sort of moment together that kind of gave the inkling that like this may happen, they they would even cross paths. I feel like that would, that would have like really, because it felt like it came out of But also part of me just like, it is such a slap to the face that also part of it feels so unearned that I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, it's also because he sucks. Like he's like you have no emotional stake in it because you're like, yeah, Molly, he sucks and he doesn't like, like you. I, I think that's the thing is just he I kind of like I you. kind of wish like I if honestly, if Neil had been fully taken out of that last scene, like I would have been. I, fine. I actually think that totally. I didn't. I didn't need work. him there. Yeah. But I did really like the I like the song Molly it, but, Smiles. But and that's I the that's thing really is I also sweet. think yeah. like Neil didn't have to play Molly Smiles because there's this one mm. moment where I got really pissed is Molly Smiles is a song that Molly's father wrote about her before he passed and their first night together I think Neil she I think she lures him to her apartment uh-huh. being like I'm Tommy daughter. Gunn's daughter and I have his guitar collection do you want to yes. see it and then he starts playing um molly smiles molly smiles and she has a very understandably strongly um yeah um, negative, negative, she's like don't, please play, don't that. play that song it's the first time you ever see her like kind of drop that like yeah ah, facade she's like don't play and, that and he doesn't understand why which really annoyed me and then at the end of yeah. the movie i guess they're trying to show that she healed because all of a sudden she can hear the song and not the freak song out and she's a but like he but didn't, he know, didn't that. know that i'm still kind of annoyed that would have been like really triggering for her if like she yeah hadn't. and she they hadn't really touched base since that moment no, on how she it was supposed to be this, this like surprising grand romantic it's like, you know the, the time you had a panic attack <laughs> because you heard the song that your dead dad wrote for you well i hope it's cool that i um put together this now whole thing. we're gonna do it in front of everyone Yeah, and also with, like, the child of the... Person I slept with. The woman that I slept with. Yeah. One thing I love about this film is it's very unassuming. One thing I hate about this film is that it's very unassuming, and at the time, it did not do well. And I think because in that time... A film starring Brittany Murphy, mm-hmm. um, two women, a girl and a woman, mm-hmm. and it being this sort of like pink, glittery, girly kind of like whoa, whoa, whoa. There are definitely some slapsticky moments, I think, and also having someone effervescent skip around in yeah in uh, I almost said Centennial Park in uh, Central Central Park. Feels I very rom com Yeah, it feels super rom-com. It was like the peak of rom-com mm-hmm. times for sure. But it's um, – and I think the reason why it didn't do as well is because it was marketed as a very fun sort of flirty rom-com. I feel like they pushed the Neil storyline a lot mm-hmm. in the trailers, in the marketing, even in the Google review, like – with the He's, help of her boyfriend. Her boyfriend? And I was like... At, at the detriment of her boyfriend. At the detriment of... To the chagrin of her... Of, of the, the boy that she thinks she, is her boyfriend, but yeah, definitely who, ha- who wants nothing to do with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it is, is like, it's... It, in actuality, in rewatch, it's a very, very... It's just a very female film. I feel mm-hmm. like it came... If it came out today people would love it. They would lose their minds. And the poster I sent Maddie earlier, it it has very much like a Sofia Coppola like yeah. mo- like look where it's like 
you know, Brittany Murphy's back to uh, in I a do subway. love that shot. It's, it's there great... are some really beautiful shots the, in the film. Do you know what I love in this movie is the colors. Mm. The colors are so good. The there colors is, are it, so It's so intentional. Good. The costumes are so intentional. Mm. The sets are all really, really thought out and well done. And, and like even made with so much love. Even the way that they style Brit- Brittany Murphy's like apartment versus Dakota Fanning's room is like it's everything is so intentional and I think having more of an understanding of how like how much work you have to put into that type of intentionality it's Mm -hmm. very easy to just be like ah whatever but like every little detail was so thought out Mm -hmm. I think it's a film that's definitely worth revisiting and I think even with like this, the video essay that we watched, I think it's coming back into the cultural consciousness mm-hmm. in a way that I'm happy about. And I well, and I, I want more people to watch it. And it honestly, it broke my top 10. I think it really is like top 10 favorite films for me. That's, I, I think this is a movie, I enjoyed it, I think as much as I possibly could for a first watch. And I think it is one of those movies that the more you watch it, you're going to like it more and more, if that makes sense. You're going to catch more things. You're going to, like, enjoy the characterizations. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think both performances, both Brittany and Dakota, give really enjoyable performances. Like, it's so fun to watch both of them just play off one another and be these really extreme versions of but themselves also still so grounded and like one thing I learned about Brittany Murphy is she did even after Clueless like honestly people don't give her enough credit for how much she cut her teeth in the indie world not yeah. just girl interrupted she did like crappy little horror films in Canada like this trigger warning girl trigger warning Canada Canada um but like uh sorry I didn't mean to I I didn't I didn't give you a trigger warning but um but like she cut her teeth on drama drama and so I think that's why she was able to do this role in such a like a like a grounded way is I think yeah. she got to bring that clueless effervescence, but actually and that, what people like, didn't realize is she was comedy and like, an, um, she is an incredible actor and not to brag. I feel like if I was an adult when she was making her movies, cause everyone's like, no one realized she was a good actor. You're and like, I think I would have, <laughs> I, I think I would have spotted like, I think I would have figured out she was a good actor. Yeah. Well, I think the, the way that she can switch between like, she can, she's both characters. This is the thing that I'm so impressed by is I think the character of Ray is like a little bit easier to do you know, like on paper, mm-hmm. but I, I don't doubt that either one of those characters are real. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm watching the movie, I'm not thinking like, oh, here are two actors acting. Mm-hmm. I am like, this person is so grounded in who they are. And Brittany Murphy has to do some like real slapsticky things that I think in the hands of like an actor who took themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm wouldn't have been able to do. And I think Dakota Fanning is 
such a phenomenal child actor. Like truly, we have not had a child actor like Dakota in a really, in a long time, which mm -hmm. I think is probably for the best because the industry isn't that kind to child actors. Like she really lucked out. She had good parents and she was able to like have success at young enough of an age where demands could be made for like her safety and like mm -hmm. her mental well-being. I think that's why she like turned out all right. Mm -hmm. But wow, it is such a good performance. There are a couple moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm watching an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's not even one of those things where, like, sometimes you're like, wow, she's so natural. Like, that kid is natural. You know, because kids no, can because give, like, an unaffected performance. Like, this she's is doing a, a role. There's this moment where, like, like, Brittany Murphy, like, tries to apologize to Dakota, like, after they get in their fight. And she's like, um, I still, I would like to be your nanny again. Please let me be your nanny again. Your mom says, if you say it's okay, I can be your nanny again. And she walks into Ray's ballet class and it's a beautiful shot because it's kind of focused on the mirror and you're seeing like these girls heads like twist past mm -hmm. and the shot ends, which also blocking wise, not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And Dakota Fanning spins, she pirouettes into the frame and the way that her face so, like, minutely changes from, like, I'm dancing, I'm aware, and I'm mad. Like, it's mm -hmm. so, so nuanced. And a child actor to be able to do that is so, like, she just got it. She mm -hmm. understood what it meant to, like, be in a role and be a character and really feel it. Mm -hmm. it it's, it's an incredible performance her, her line reads are really really good she's mm -hmm. she's working with some like complex dialogue and mm -hmm. some like really mm -hmm. it, there's a specific tone that I think you would be yeah in the hands of a lesser child actor yeah no it would just be like bratty kid who eventually yeah. becomes a nice kid good but yeah. she feels like a dynamic, important part of this film. Mm -hmm. And also I think like, um, yeah, I think like you understand very deeply is that like Molly's always going to be Molly and Ray is not all of a sudden going to become like a giggly girly girl later. No. Like, there is something about her. She is just a serious person who Some has gone through something. Some kids are just stoic. And, and, and I think she's probably going to be a lot like Ingrid. Like, yeah. But just hopefully not like hopefully able to work with a therapist for like her crippling OCD yeah like um hopefully able and even like her adopting the pig mm -hmm. like and her learning to like love the pig mm -hmm. that's like so sweet it's just such a there's so much that goes on in the film that you don't even realize until you're watching it again for yes. the however many time yeah, and it's really it's really sweet. So, um, Maddie, famously, this is called the Lonely the Girl Lonely Girls podcast. Is there really? I mean, is there a need to talk? I mean, I think I think Uptown Girls should be renamed Lonely Girls. Lonely Girls. I literally, I think so too. And w my one bone to pick, or my biggest bone to pick with this movie, is that the song, one of my favorite songs, honestly, ever, is Uptown Girls by Billy Joel. I used <laughs> but to, it's as not, a kid... it's not used once in I, the film. No, I used to just, like, listen to it, being like... Uh, uh, like, just in the car, just, like... Yeah. So, like, on my, I, on my iPod, guess what song was on there? 
Uptown Girls. Uptown Girls. Girls. I love that song. Okay, let's... Okay, question to kind of wrap it up. If we were to have the song Uptown Girls, where would you put it? In the movie? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think it would have to be kind of like at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but I also don't think it's necessarily the vibe. It could be like... You're right. It doesn't really fit in anywhere. It doesn't fit. I feel like it was maybe like the trailers. Like I could, you could cut a trailer to Uptown Girl. Yeah. Or maybe if there was like just like a sweet sort of acoustic cover. If if Uptown only there was, Girl. I just don't think there's enough where they're honestly like there, there's so much dialogue in this movie. Yeah. There was it would have to be like a montage, montage or something montage. like that. That's yeah. what I was going to say. If there was one montage in this movie, I would, yeah. I would slap it on there. But yeah, there is the one where she's like doing the laundry and like, and it, and hijinks ensue, and yeah. she's like getting her like oh, and like really I don't know though, fit. it does doesn't it? fit, and yeah. and I, I think it's a great name for a film. I think it's good. I think mm-hmm. it like sticks with you. I think, I, and, I think, and I just well, I just think it's because like Pretty Woman has Pretty Woman in it. Yeah. So I'm like, why doesn't Uptown Girls have Uptown, Uptown Girl? Girl? It's such a good song. Okay, so to close out the podcast, do you have any takeaways? Like what what did you what did you learn after oh watching gosh. the film? What um, what did it Well for one, I want Molly's entire wardrobe. Oh my gosh. Oh, huge takeaway. Uh two, I need more Brittany Murphy movies in my life. Yeah. Um, but also I think like I, I don't mm, I don't know. I think maybe just paying more attention to the relationships in your life and mm. really having a lot of gratitude for it because um, mm. I don't have a precocious child to take care of. Um, and I'm okay with that. I have nannied before. It is – also, I just want to point out Brittany is an amazing nanny because I a also – great nanny. I am also a good nanny, and I yeah. am so drained by it. It is oh a my gosh. hard job. And I, she actually seems to really love being a nanny and seems to be energized by it, which is awesome. I One of my fantasies um, growing up when I was a child, I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, as, a, as, as a woman, um, I, wanted to be, um, I wanted to be the Brittany Murphy to a, a precocious New York brat. Mm-hmm. I wanted that so badly. I did sort of get it. I had a, I had a nannying job where I I I was a bit of a Brittany Murphy to a to a bit of a brat. Mm-hmm. Just not in New York. Just not in New York, and so it wasn't as fun. It was in like you know Orange County. Yeah, less well, less glamorous. What did you learn from this movie? Mm. I think the thing that I learned is that I, I think I was really impressed with like the storytelling and the sort of psychological undertones and how how important it is for stories to be told about female relationships Mm. and that there are really like a ton of different types of relationships that you can have Mm -hmm. that matter and that mean something and that are valuable and that can teach you things it reminded me that like I love being around kids and that like kids are really beautiful and 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 valuable yeah they're really important and all and and in in the same way like the way that I feel about the children that I'm you know privileged enough to interact with in person the more I'm like the more I'm able to like love my inner child 
Like mm-hmm. being around children helps me love my inner child. Mm-hmm. And that type of work is really important. Absolutely. I think it is maybe one of those movies where it's like, if you don't monitor it, this is going to get out of control. Yeah. And it's a real, it's a really hopeful, really sweet way of looking at girlhood and womanhood and how mm-hmm. they interact with one another. And that all you really need is yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't need a man. Okay. So Lonely Girls, if you would like to um, just dive into our digital penthouse apartment um, with all our pigs and money and freezers and um, beautiful dresses, you can follow us on the Lonely Girls podcast at the Lonely Girls podcast. Mm -hmm. If you would like to follow Rebecca, Mm -hmm. you can find her. At you can find me at Rebecca Botter on Instagram and Botter Rebecca on uh, TikTok, um, where I talk about wedding dresses. You can find me on Instagram at Turner Madeline, on TikTok at Madeline Turner, where I attempt to make beautiful content, um, but mostly just sit around and um, do filters on myself to pass the time beautiful filters beautiful Um, filters okay lonely girls um it was such a pleasure having you with us today mm -hmm. remember as always to stay lonely but not alone Bye. bye sweet sad song